Hello, welcome to episode 32 of 10 0. It's going to be a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're already starting out that way. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well. It's going to be great. I know you have a long one today. Yeah. Why do I always take the long ones that end up taking 20 minutes? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, our true crime fact of the day takes us back to December 17th of 1975. Lynette Squeaky Fromm was sentenced to life for an assassination attempt. Mm. A federal jury in Sacramento sentences Lynette Ellis Fromm, also known as Squeaky, to life in prison for her attempted assassination of President Gerald Ford. Oh! On September 5th, a Secret Service agent wrestled a semi-automatic 45 caliber pistol from Fromm, who brandished the weapon during a public appearance of President Ford in Sacramento. Oh! Yes. Squeaky, a follower of incarcerated cult leader Charles Manson, I knew that sounded familiar. <laughs> was pointing the loaded gun at the president when the Secret Service agent grabbed it. 17 days later, Ford escaped an injury in another assassination attempt when 45-year-old Sarah Jane Moore fired a revolver at him. Jesus. Yeah, Ford was not a very liked president. Apparently not. <laughs> Moore, who was a leftist radical that's once served as an informant for the FBI, had a history of mental illness. She was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to life. In trial, Fromm pleaded not guilty to the attempted assassination of a president charge, arguing that although her gun contained bullets, it had not been cocked, and therefore she had not actually intended to shoot the president. Because that how that works. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> she was convicted, sentenced to life in prison, and sent to the Alderson Federal Correctional Institution <laughs> in West Virginia. Tom remained a dedicated disciple of Charles Manson, and in December of 1987, escaped from Alderson Prison. Oh my god. After she heard that Manson, who was also in prison, had cancer. After 40 hours of roaming the rugged West Virginia hills, she was caught on Christmas Day, about two miles from the prison. Two miles. How did you only get forty hours? Two miles. I can walk a mile in fifteen. How? I want to know how. I mean, maybe she got in the woods and got turned around, and maybe. I mean, not defending her in any way, shape, or form. But at that point. You can follow the sun and know where you're going. You would think that. Apparently, she's not that smart. <laughs> oh, Lord. If we're being honest. Anyway. <laughs> she was released on parole in August of 2009 after serving nearly 34 years. Okay. Yeah. All because Charles Manson had cancer. She decided to tack on an additional five years to her life sentence because... Well, apparently it wasn't a life sentence. I, I just want to go see Charles Manson. I mean, if I were alive back then, I probably would have I been like... I would have hopped on that bus in a fucking heartbeat. I want to go see... <laughs> would I have been that, like, devote, devoted, like, follower? Hell no. Would I have still been like, I want to go see him? 
Yes, because that's just who I am as a person. <laughs> Would I have killed anybody? No. No. Would I have hopped on the bus to go along for the ride? Probably. Because <laughs> that's just who I am as a person, apparently. Because, oh. you know. Oh, man. Any hoozle. You want to go first or do you want me to? I have a short one, so I guess I'll go first. Okay, then. So we are going to Tennessee. Yay! For the Bell Witch Haunting. I knew you were going to do that one. <laughs> I told you I was doing this one. Yeah, but I didn't know when you I were told you I bought it. the book. I know, but I didn't know when you were going to do it. <sighs> okay. Anyway. So, we're going back to the 1800s. Yes. Um, John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to Roberts, Tennessee, which is present-day Adams. He purchased a very large plot of land and a house. And over the next few years, he purchased more land, which increased his property to 328 acres, most of which was used for farming. Okay. 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 So, skipping 17 years. Of course. John Bell was out in his fields when he saw a strange-looking animal sitting in between rows of corn. He stated that the animal had the body of a dog, but the head of a rabbit. El Chupacabra. Why is that not on my list? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, I'm catching squirrel. I'm catching up on, and that's why we drink, because they're, like, my favorite right now. And um, M just did Chupacabra. I just, I don't know. That was the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> even though I know that's totally not it. It's, I can't, I, I don't even It's remember. like a hyena looking thing. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, he shot at this dog rabbit thing and it simply vanished. It was no more. Oh. Later that night, the bale, 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 bell family heard beating sounds on the outside of their log home. Ooh. The sounds continued daily and got worse daily. Of course they did. Bell and his sons would often run outside to see if they could catch whatever was making that noise. Shocker, they were never able to locate the source of the sound. Well, probably not. Oh, this one gets that, fucked up. That's not how. I this, know you know this one, but it gets how fucked this up. This thing works. It gets messed up. <sighs> so in the following oh, days. Secret. The family would wake up to strange noises inside the house. Nobody, nope, nope. They could hear what sounded like rats chewing on their bedposts. Chains being drugged throughout the house. All I can think of is... I know, just the little little pitter-patter of little mouse feet. Or, you know, the, like, gnawing noises. (laughs) (laughs) If you could see how fast my hands were fluttering. (laughs) She could have fucking taken off. I just can't do it. Like, it's not even the fact that it's, like, Ugh. rats or anything like that. Because, like, my best friend had rats for the longest time. It's the sound. It's just it's the, the... It's the noise. Like, I just... Ugh. I don't like it. Uh, rats chewing on their bedposts, chains being drugged throughout the house, and someone choking. Soon after, the kids began to complain of their blankets being ripped off and their pillows being thrown on the floor by an unseen force. As time went on, they began hearing a whisper throughout their home. They said it sounded like an older woman singing hymns. Hmm. 
At this point, Betsy Bell seemed to become the target of the ghost. Betsy was John's daughter. It would pull her hair, slap her, often leaving her with welts and handprints all over her body. John had sworn his family to secrecy, however, told his friend, James Johnston. So you got to make your family not tell anybody, but you're going to run around and tell everybody. Well, I'm just saying. You see what <laughs> So Johnston and his wife were skeptical at first, but they came to spend a night at the house. If someone told me that this was going out at their house, I would not come stay at your house. Well, it looks like you're never staying at my house. Just saying. There, there's all sorts of noises at my house. Welcome to my house. Jeremy doesn't believe me. The night started off fine, apparently. But once they went to bed, they were also subjected to the ghost torments. Their blankets had been ripped off, and James had been slapped. He left off the bed, shouting, quote, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? Because that's how that works. Right. The ghost did not respond, and the rest of the night was silent. Called it. (laughs) The next morning, James explained to the Bells that the spirit was evil, quote, like the kind the Bible talks about. Oh. Over time, the ghost's voice became loud and unmistakable. It would sing hymns, quote the Bible, and once quoted word for word, two sermons that were given at the same time on the same day 13 miles apart yeah fuck you fuck you i'm out that's like that scene from half baked fuck you fuck you fuck you you're cool fuck you i'm out i would just leave bye in 1819, Andrew Jackson had heard of the ghost. And John Bell Jr. and his brothers Drury, Drew, Drew, R-Y. Drew, I can't say it. Drury? <laughs> uh, we're going to call him Drew because I can't say that word. Drew and Jesse had fought under Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. As Jackson was arriving with his entourage, their wagon appeared to have gotten stuck in the muddy creek bed and their horses were unable to get it out. After several attempts to get it out, a female disembodied voice could be heard stating that she would see them later in that evening. The wagon seemed to magically be released from the mud and they continued towards the bell home. <laughs> One of these men claimed to be a witch tamer. Because oh, that's a real thing. <laughs> he gonna learn Here, today. We're in a circus. You're a witch. I'm gonna take you. I hate you. I don't know where you got this energy from, but I'm gonna need you to share <laughs> some, okay? Care. I was like exhausted all day. Uh, and now I'm just like, okay. So our witch tamer friend produced a pistol and proclaimed that a silver bullet could kill any evil spirit. He went on to say that the reason that nothing had happened was because whatever spirit was there was afraid of his bullet. Okay, Dean. Right. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) 
Almost immediately after proclaiming that she was afraid of his bullet, the man screamed and began seizing and complaining that he had been struck with pins and beaten severely. The spirit spoke up and announced that there was another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the next night. Jackson's men immediately wanted to leave the farm, but Jackson refused, stating that he wanted to know who the fraud was. Well... You see what had happened was. <laughs> Pretty sure it's the witch tamer. The next morning, Jackson and his entourage were spotted on their way back to Nashville. When asked what happened at the Bells, he stated, quote, I would rather be, I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. Oh. Alright, No, thank you. <laughs> so, this is another important part of the story is Betsy's engagement. As she was growing up, she became interested in Joshua Gardner, who lived on a neighboring farm. With her parents' blessings, they decided to get married. Everyone was excited about this engagement, except for the spirit who became furious and repeatedly ordered Betsy not to marry Joshua. Betsy's former teacher, Richard Powell, had been interested in her and had shown interest in marrying her, when she became of age. Mm. That's not creepy McCreeperson or anything. Mm -hmm. It's been noted that Powell, who was 11 years older than Betsy, was interested in the occult, ventriloquism, horticulture, and geology. You know, not cool stuff back then. Right. He was also secretly to a woman in Nashville, Esther Scott, during the time he lived and taught in Robertson County. So you, you're trying to get married twice, buddy? Right. I'm just saying. Especially to someone who's 11 years younger than you are. <laughs> uh, Betsy and Joshua could not go anywhere without Spirit following them. And Betsy could not handle this anymore, so she broke off their engagement on Easter Monday of 1821. So... She she didn't really like John that much, in case that wasn't evident. <laughs> uh, John began experiencing episodes of facial twitching and difficulty swallowing for over a year. In 1820, John's health had confined him to the house. The spirit would remove his shoes while he was walking and would often slap him in the face. Voice could be heard all over the farm cursing old Jack Bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, December 20th of 1821, John Bell passed away. Immediately after his death, John Jr. found a vial containing a black liquid in a cupboard. This this irks me a little bit. Yeah. He gave the cat two drops of whatever this black liquid is. It jumped in the air and was dead by the time it hit the floor. Why would you do that to the poor Kiki? garbage <laughs> sorry but the the last thing that i would use oh was a cat but that's because i'm a, a, go I'm go a get the rats person. that are supposedly chewing on your bedposts <laughs> the spirit said i gave old jack a big dose of night which fixed him john jr threw the vial into the fireplace and it burst into a huge blue flame 
John's funeral was one of the largest ever held at Robertson County. As the mourners started to leave the cemetery, the witch laughed and sang a song about a bottle of brandy. She didn't stop until the last person left the cemetery. After John's death, the spirit seemed to disappear as though it had completed its mission. Huh. But wait, there's more. No. <laughs> oh. uh, in the following April, a visit, the spirit visited Lucy, who was the widow, I believe, and told her that it would be leaving and would return in seven years. Okay. In 1828, the spirit returned as promised. However, this visit was missed on John Jr. They had a nice discussion. Mm. Um about the origins of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a major spiritual awakening. The spirit also predicted the Civil War and other major historical events. The spirit left after three weeks and promised to visit John Bell's most direct ascendant in 107 years. Not 100 years. Not seven. Hundreds. <laughs> This is where we meet Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, who is John Bell Sr.'s great-grandson. Okay. In 1934, Dr. Bell published a book about the Bell Witch and a warning of her impending return. The book contained the first ever account of the alleged conferences between the spirit and John Jr. in 1828. Dr. Dr. Bell's father, Dr. Joel Bell, had allegedly taken notes during the conversations and passed them down. Uh, there was no follow-up book ever published, though. And Dr. Charles Bell died in 1945 and is buried at Bellwood Cemetery in Adams, Tennessee. It is not known if the spirit ever returned in 1935. So she still hangs out on the property, apparently. Of course. Um, the sounds of children playing and people talking can be heard in the distance. It's also not uncommon to see candlelights dance in the field at night. Many tourists who take pictures later note that there is a mist or orbs in their pictures. And a few have taken pictures of a human-like figure who was not present when the picture was taken. Okay, so, going back to orbs and glowing photos, bugs, dust. You're out in the middle of a field. Right. <laughs> right. Not not saying that some of them need to be discredited, or that I don't fully believe it. But there's. Have you seen really the Ghost Adventures episode on this? Yes. Yeah. It makes me a little angry. Yeah. He dumb. Hmm. You're putting towers that are sensitive to movement in, in, in a cave, my friend. Yes. That's kind of an idiot. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just saying. Like, I probably should have stopped watching Ghost Avengers the moment that Nick left, but, yeah. Aaron, Aaron poor, poor Aaron. Aaron's my buddy. Poor, poor Aaron. Because I would be that person who goes on these, like, little ghost hunts. And then I'm like, 
I don't want to do this. Don't put me in there by myself. And I'd end up by myself. Oh, no. So. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't be anywhere by myself. You can get fucked. (laughs) That's going to be a no for me. Canada. Canada. <clears throat> oh, God. Now I'm not going to be able to talk. I thought you were going to start singing. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <clears throat> I don't think anybody's ears wants to be graced with that. <laughs> no. no. I am a horrible singer. Anyways. Um, uh, that was great. So, Beautiful. We're going to talk about Luca Magnano. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck with kids. Because, you know, I'm stuck listening to Corpse and, yeah. Listening to what? <clears throat> Corpse. I don't know what that means. Are you? I know you've heard it. Hold on. Where's my phone? He has the TikTok song. Okay. Okay. He mentions Luca Magnata. Oh. They say I'll kill your cat like I'm Luca Magnata. Yeah. Well, that's kind of rude. It is, but. Sir. Yeah. Okay. So, this one gave me the inspiration for this. And then, you know, I had to watch the Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix or whatever. So, he was born Eric. Clinton Kirk Newman. That's a hell of a name. Yeah. I thought, like, I gave my kid, like, a horrible name <laughs> by giving <laughs> him two middle names. And, you know, one of them being really long. But that that's a mouthful in itself. He was born on July 24th of 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario to Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. He is the Oldest of three kids. His parents split while he was still young. Um, he later goes on to live with his grandmother, Phyllis. Phyllis. Not sure if it's paternal or maternal grandma, but... I think it's his mom's mom. Maybe? I think. I don't remember. At some point, his grandma and grandpa divorced too. He gets homeschooled. Um, he later writes that it was because he told the world and he was told the world is a dirty and dangerous place. I mean, however, it's not wrong. No, he's not. For at least two years, between 1998 and 2000, um, he did attend I.E. Weldon Secondary School. His former teachers and classmates remember him for his vanity and preoccupation with looks. So he's always been very, very vain. Yeah. In 2002 or 2003, he began stripping at Remington. By by 2003, um, he had appeared in at least two pornographic films, both as a straight man turned gay. 
In 2004, he appears in at least two more films, including one under the alias Jimmy, which he also used during his time as a male escort. Mm-hmm. In June of 2005, he pled guilty and is convicted of four fraud charges. But we'll get back into that part in a little bit. I found where I'm at. Okay. Um, his lawyer showed the court a medical record showing that he has significant psychiatric issues and subsequently was only sentenced to nine months community service and a year of probation. He continued to appear in low-level porn films, appearing in Fab Magazine as Jimmy. He described himself as a 22-year-old soccer fan, born in Russia and living in Toronto, who hopes to become a vice or homicide detective. Oh, would you look you? In early 2006, he meets Barbie, a transgendered woman, and they begin dating. He said that he wanted to be famous one day, Barbie told the Fifth Estate in in an interview. She recalls his apartment looking like a shrine dedicated to himself. He would always (laughs) beg me to take pictures of him, she said. In April, several months after meeting Newman, they break up. He then changed his legal name to Luca Rocco Magnata on August 12th. Why would you choose Rocco? I don't... That makes me think of Rocco's modern life. It makes me think of the guy that shot the cat in Boondock Saints. We live very different lives. (laughs) (laughs) Well... (laughs) I've seen Boondock Saints. For a change. But, you know. I'm actually shocked. Um, In 2007, he files for bankruptcy due to illness, lack of employment, and insufficient income to pay off debts. He claims to have had to pay $200 per month in expenses due to an unspecified medical condition. And throughout the year, Magnata continues his attempts to make a name for himself. He ended up um, auditioning for a couple reality shows and wasn't chosen. Shocker. So now we are going to move on to his murder that he supposedly didn't commit. Uh The murder of Lynn June. He was also known as Justin Lynn. He was an international student from Wuhan and an undergraduate in the engineering and computer sciences facility at Concordia University. Dear God, Caitlin, get it together. (laughs) (laughs) He worked part-time as a convenience store clerk in Point St. Charles. Lynn had been studying in Montreal since July of 2011. Lynn moved to a Griffintown area apartment with a roommate on May 1st. He was last seen on May 24th. Of 2000, his friends reported getting a text message from his phone at 9 p.m. His boss became suspicious when he didn't show up for a shift the next day, and three of his friends went to his apartment on May 27th. He was reported missing on May 29th. On May 25th, an 11-minute video titled "One Lunatic, One Ice Pick" 
was uploaded to bestgore.com depicting a naked male tied to a bed frame being repeatedly stabbed with an ice pick and a kitchen knife and then being dismembered, followed by acts of necrophilia. Lovely. The perpetrator uses a knife and a fork to cut off some flesh and gets a dog to chew on the body. During the video, the 19th New Order song True Faith plays in the background, and a poster for the 1942 film Casablanca is visible on the wall. Canadian authorities were were able to obtain a more extensive version of the video and confirm that cannibalism may have been performed. Materials promoting the video appeared online at least 10 days before the murder took place. 10 days beforehand. That's not premeditation. I don't know what is. Right. On May 26th, an attorney from Montana attempted to report the video to Toronto police, his local sheriff, and the FBI, but the report was dismissed by officials. Best Gore viewers also attempted to report the video. Police later confirmed it as authentic and identified the victim, an Asian male, as the same one whose body parts were sent to Ottawa. At 11 a.m. on May 29, 2012, a package containing a left foot was delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada. The package was stained with blood and had a foul smell. It was marked with a red heart symbol. Another package containing a left hand was intercepted in a Canada Post processing facility addressed to the Liberal Party. A janitor discovered a decomposing torso inside a suitcase left in a garbage pile in the alley behind an apartment building in the Snowden area of Montreal. He first saw the suitcase on the 25th, but it was not picked up due to the large amount of garbage that day. After searching the scene, police discovered human remains, bloody clothes, papers identifying the suspect, as well as sharp objects from the back alley. Footage from the surveillance cameras inside the building showed a suspect bringing down numerous garbage bags outside, and the images matched a suspect captured on video at the post office. Yeah... What is it with people leaving bodies in a dumpster? I have no idea. Maybe the fact that they could possibly get away with it if it's actually picked up on time. At 2333 Eastern Daylight Time, or 1133 Eastern Daylight Time, police searched apartment 208 which Luca Rocco Magnata was renting. He moved in four months prior, and his rent was paid up until June 1st. The apartment had been mostly emptied before he left. Blood was found on different items, including the mattress, refrigerator, the table, and the bathtub. Ew. If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror, I don't care, was written in red ink on the inside of a closet. On May 30th, It was confirmed that the body parts belonged to the same individual, later identified as Lin Jun. The suspect in the case was quickly identified as Magnata, who had by then fled. 
A note was found with the package sent to the conservative party stating that a total of six body parts had been distributed and that the perpetrator would kill again. Notes were also in the three other packages, but police declined to disclose their contents, citing concerns about possible copycats. Um, <coughs> I mean, yeah. I can see where they're coming from. On June 5th, a package containing a right foot was delivered to St. George's School and another package containing a right hand to False Creek Elementary School in Vancouver. Why would you send it to an elementary school? I don't know. Both schools opened as normal the following morning. It was confirmed that both packages were sent from Montreal. On June 13th, four limbs and the torso were matched using DNA samples from Lynn's family. On July 1st, his head was recovered at the edge of a small lake in Montreal's... I don't know how to pronounce that. It was a park. Montreal. Okay. After police received an anonymous tip. Lynn's body was cremated on July 11th and his ashes were buried on July 26th. Um... An arrest warrant for Magnato was issued by the service. Why can't they just put things in English? (laughs) Darn Canadians and their French language. Okay. So, (laughs) by the police. And later upgraded to a Canada-wide, so country-wide, warrant by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Accusing him of the following crimes. First degree murder, committing an indignity to a dead body. Publishing obscene material. (laughs) Mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or scurrile material. And criminally harassed Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and several members of Parliament. Well. (laughs) On May 31st of 2012... Interpol issued a red notice for Magnata at the request of Canadian authorities, and for several days before and after his arrest, his name and photo were displayed prominently at the top of the homepage of the Interpol website. The red notice requested that Magnata be provisionally arrested, pending extradition back to Canada by any Interpol member state. Magnata flew from Montreal to Paris on May 26th using a false passport under the name Kirk Trammell. Oh, his cell phone signal was traced to a hotel in. I... <laughs> Why? <laughs> Bagnolet? I have no idea. Um, so if I butcher it, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but he had left by the time police arrived. Pornographic magazines and an air sickness bag were found. What is an air sickness bag? The, um,. The blue, like, trash bag things that have the ring. Oh, so, like, the puke bags? That's That would be what air sickness is. When you when you puke. Air sickness? That's what they call it, apparently. Sure. <laughs> I just work here, okay? Well, you know. They were found in the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> he had contacts in Paris from a previous visit in 2010 and police were following a large-framed man who had been in contact with Magnata. Another man he stayed with for two nights did not realize who he was until he had left. Magnata then boarded 
a Euroline's bus at the coach station bound for Berlin, Germany. On June 4th, Magnata was apprehended by Berlin police police at an internet cafe while reading news stories about himself. And, you know, of saying that he was vain. Um, he tried giving fake names before admitting who he was. Yet his identify <laughs> slow down. <laughs> his identity was confirmed through fingerprint evidence. Magnata appeared in a Berlin court on June fifth, and according to Berlin officials, he had not opposed his extradition. There was sufficient evidence to keep him in custody until ex- extradition. And he agreed to a simplified process. On June 18th, Magnata was delivered to Canadian authorities in Berlin and flown aboard a Royal Canadian Air Force CC-150 Polaris well. to Mirabel International Airport, north of Montreal. A military transport was necessary due to safety concerns with using a commercial flight and potential legal difficulties if the plane was diverted to another country. He was placed into solitary confinement, and he was awaiting trial. So we're going to go backwards a little bit. Okay. Um, reactions in China were highly critical, with some believing that the murder, the, the, the murder, good lord, was racially motivated. I get hyper, and this is what happens. Apparently. I can't talk. <laughs> um. Some Chinese questioned public safety in Canada as the killing was the second high-profile murder of a Chinese student there in slightly over a year. Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird called Chinese Ambassador Zhang Junsai to convey his condolences. Um, On June 4th, Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper said he was pleased that the suspect was arrested and congratulated the police forces on their good work in apprehending interim Liberal Party leader Bob Ray said that Canadians should mourn the victim rather than in any way, shape, or form celebrate Magnata's notoriety. Two days later, um, Lin Jun's family arrived. In Montreal, the Chinese Students and Scholars Association of Concordia University established a fund to defray expenses incurred by the Lynch family while in Canada, and an award was created in his honor. A candlelight vigil was held in Montreal. Um, Magnata was named Canadian Newsmaker of the Year by Canadian media. Why is that a thing? caused lots and lots of controversy. So now we're back in present times, I guess. On, in present times. On that front. Um, on July 16th, 2013, Edmonton police charged Best Gore owner Mark Merrick with corrupting morals, a rarely used obscenity charge for posting one lunatic, one ice pick online. At Merrick's bail hearing, the Crown opposed his release pointing out that he had no Edmonton address and had made it clear to police that he had planned to go back to his native Slovakia. Police said that he had been living out of his car since he had returned to the city. 
The defense said that Merrick had planned to visit family in September, but didn't intend to run away from his legal problems. Uh, Merrick told the judge that the officers had already seized his passport. It does not say what he was actually charged with, though. I looked. I tried to find it. There was a lot of... This case is... Jumping around. A lot of jumping around. Um, Like, I think I have two sets of notes. Just because of how much it jumped. And that's why I'm screwing everything up. So, Luca Magnata was set to go to trial in 2014, in September and they also, it also prompted investigation into other possible crimes. And here's where we go to Don't Fuck With Cats. Right. So, Luca Magnata is the alleged person behind a series of videos of animal cruelty involving cats, which were posted to YouTube in 2010, including one titled One Boy Two, which showed a man deliberately suffocating two kittens with a vacuum cleaner. In January of 2011, professional model and animal rights activist Sia Barbie joined a private Facebook group who had identified Magnata as the person in these videos. Subsequently, animal rights activist groups offered a $5,000 reward for bringing him to justice. In February, Toronto police began investigating Magnata in connection with the videos after receiving a complaint from the Ontario Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or the OSPCA. You know, because we can't just abbreviate things. (laughs) (laughs) They also contacted the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or the RSPCA, (laughs) in England. (laughs) The FBI and police in Montreal due to the suspect's extensive travels. On June 8th, the Los Angeles Police Department announced that they were in contact with Montreal police to determine if Magnata was involved in the unsolved murder and decapitation of Herbie Medellin, known as the Hollywood sign murder, but later announced that they did not believe that he was involved. Um... The animal rights group Last Chance for Last Chance for Animals claimed responsibility for posting YouTube videos linking him to the Hollywood sign murder in an attempt to lure Magnata into contacting them. Ellis offered a $7,500 reward for information leading to his arrest while he was on the run. The case also drew comparisons across North America to Mark. Twitchwell, a convicted murderer inspired by Dexter, who used social media in his crimes and to self-promote his work. Gonna have to add him to my list. Yeah. Um, on to his trial. His trial, his jury trial did not begin until April of 2014. Like, I'm telling you, I have two sets of, two completely different sets of notes. How did you manage to pull that off? I don't know. So, 
On June 19, 2012, Magnata appeared in court by video link to plead not guilty to all charges through his lawyer. On June 21st, he appeared in person to request a trial by jury. The preliminary hearing began on March 11th of 2013. And the evidence presented is subject to a publication ban. So there's like hardly anything on his trial, like at all. Yeah. Um, Magnata's defense team requested that the media and the public be barred entirely from the hearing, but it was declined the next day. On 13th, one of Magnata's lawyers resigned due to a possible conflict of interest. Oh. Kind of want to know what that was. Yeah. Just saying. Um, expert witnesses testified, including a forensic pathologist, a forensic toxicologist, a forensic odontologist. Yeah, that. A blood stain analyst, data recovery specialist, and an internet investigations officer. They all testified against him. Well, the prosecution also displayed video evidence. Both Magnata and Lynn physically collapsed at separate times during the proceedings. On April 12th of 2013, Magnata was indicted on charges of first-degree murder, offering indignities to a human body, distributing obscene materials, and using the Postal Service to distribute obscene materials and criminal harassment. Magnata elected to be tried by judgery. He pleaded not guilty and admitted to the acts of which he was accused by claiming diminished responsibility due to mental disorders. A Crown attorney made his opening statement on September 29th of 2014 when his jury trial began. Um, Quebec Superior Court Justice Guy Croyner Kernoyer, God, presided over the trial. It lasted 10 weeks. On the opening day, he instructed jurors that Magnata admits to the acts or the conducts underlying the crime for which he is charged. Your task will be to determine whether he committed the five offenses with the required state of mind for each offense. Canada is too nice. Yeah. I, I agree. Six tools were recovered out and out of his apartment and analyzed by ballistic expert Gilbert Desjardins. Don't know. Um, they included a pair of scissors, two knives, a screwdriver, an oscillating saw, and a hammer. He said none could be definitively linked to the killing and that no skeletal marks suggested the screwdriver or scissors were used, but some were consistent with the saw and the knife or exacto blade injuries. During the trial, Luke LeClaire, the defense attorney, argued that Magnata was in a psychotic state at the time of the crimes and could not be held responsible for his actions. The Crown prosecutor argued that the murder was organized and premeditated and that Magnata was purposeful, mindful, ultra-organized, and ultimately responsible for his actions. Mm-hmm. I fucking agree. Magnata told a psychiatrist that who interviewed him about the night he killed Lynn that a person named Manny was there urging him to kill. It was then determined that this name and Magnata's 
Trammell alias were inspired by Sharon Stone's fictional character Catherine Trammell in the movie Basic Instinct and that character's fiance Manny Vasquez. Magnata chose not to testify during the trial. After a 12-week trial, which included 10 weeks of hearing testimony, the jury of eight women and four men received final instructions from the trial judge on December 15th and was sequestered before beginning its deliver deliberations the next day. On their eighth day of deliberation, they returned a verdict of guilty on all charges. Minato will serve a mandatory life sentence and will be eligible for parole in 25 years, or after 25 years. He was also sentenced to 19 years for other charges to be served concurrently. Um, he filed for an appeal. However, he withdrew his appeal on February 18th of 2015. Oh. So, during his trial for murder, the defense witnesses provided evidence that Magnata had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a teenager. The first... <laughs> I quit. Fucking duck. Uh, defense expert Joel Watts testified that Magnata showed of episodic schizophrenia, histrionic, histrionic personality disorder, borderline personality traits, and paraphilia, not otherwise specified. The prosecution revealed. And Magnata had been using illegal drugs during his teenage years, which led to symptoms that mimic schizophrenia, and that Magnata had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by crown expert Dr. Joel Paris at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal in 2012. So, yes, he had signs of mental illness. It also doesn't help when... You amplify that with drugs. Right. What you say? So, Magnata is alleged to be behind the string of videos of animal cruelty, but that was never fully proven, according to the interwebs. I believe it. It was the same room. Right. The same body build. But he was never actually tried and charged for it. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. It's motherfucking duck. <laughs> so, I'm <yeah>. just saying. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's it. That whole story is fucked up. The fact that I can't fucking talk is fucked up. Don't fuck with cats, man. <sighs> Go prison. Well, I mean, he didn't go to prison for fucking with cats. He went to prison for murdering somebody. Well, yeah. Poor kitties. Yes. Deliberately putting cats in a bag and sucking all the air out of it is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. Just, just a teeny bit. Material. Just a teeny little bit. So yeah, now that 
we're almost at like an hour and a half, I think. No? No, we're close. We're not even at an hour. Oh my god! <laughs> Oh, wait, never mind. I was hyper and my mouth was going like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I couldn't fucking talk. Oh, that, like, like I said, I thought I had a lot of notes, but apparently I was like half asleep when I was doing them. And I ended up with two separate sets of notes. I don't know how you manage that. I don't, I'm not sure. Like, I wonder if when I copy pasted, like, his. Um, all of his like identifiers. Mm-hmm. If it didn't copy paste everything, and then when I pasted it to the top um, of my notes, it automatically put everything in there. Possible, possible, very possible. Oh. Hey, well, next week is our Christmas episode. Yes, next week is our Christmas episode. We've got. I have a twofer for you. And an update on a previous case. And I have multiple, multiple cryptids that all have to do with the holiday. Your face right now. Can you do that again for me? No. <laughs> <laughs> One time before. The fuck was that? <laughs> no. Oh, God. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Okay, well, we're going to go before <laughs> Kayla has a fucking stroke. Oh <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at oh. 10-0 <laughs> Podcast, True Crimes and Paranormal Stormies for buying the headset. Stormy? Stormies. <laughs> Apparently, I'm going to have a stroke now. It's fine. It's totally fine. Oh, Lord. You can find us on Instagram at 10 underscore zero underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter at 10 Paranormal because it's dumb. And won't let her change it. <laughs> if any personal stories or case suggestions for us, make sure you email it to us at 10zeropodcast at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Patreon if you're feeling generous with four different levels of goodies that you get. Um, if you're feeling even more generous, we would really, 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 really appreciate you leaving a review on the podcast so we can reach more people. Yes. And as always, we have to include our contest. Um, if we get 250 followers on Facebook and Instagram for a total of 500 followers, we will be doing a Tumblr giveaway along with some extra freebies in there. Um, It will be a personalized Tumblr. You can personalize it with your name, or if you want it to have our sticker pack on it, we can do that too. Um, So it just all depends on what exactly you're wanting. Um, It'll have some other goodies involved. Um, If we get 250 on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for a total of seven cookies. <laughs> I think you can't I even do basic math right now. No, can't do it. Um, we will do a one of a kind hoodie giveaway. Um, there's only two in existence, and they are tied reverse tie dyed, so no two are the same. Um, right now Maria and I are the only ones that have them. And it comes with our logo. 
on it. And, and they're super cool. They're amazing. They're super comfy, too. Um, so, yeah. With that being said, stay safe. And try not to become the next 10-0.